And this is evidence-based eating, putting it all together, part two, in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to evidence-based eating. We are doing putting it all together, part two. And again, I'm uh, so happy that I'm here with Allie. Hi, Shay. Hi. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us again to help us incorporate all of this wonderful information into our daily lives. Yes. So today we're going to talk about that feeling of being overwhelmed, um, all of the negative reinforcers or punishment and all of the things that come up as we're going through that transformational change. Mm -hmm. Last time we talked about how to create our values and our action based um, like uh, and the actions that we take in line with our values. And then we talked about incorporating all the different aspects of acts like diffusion and perspective taking um, in order to start to uh, think about making those changes and then begin to make those changes. And then once you've begun to make those changes, you've passed through the pre-contemplation and the contemplation and you're getting into the action phase, mm -hmm. you're going to be facing lots of things, lots of new emotions. It can feel overwhelming. It, you can have negative um, experiences. And so that's the whole point of this episode. So uh, this one we're going to focus on weight. And that's a couple fold. One is because it is oftentimes the thing that people think is their value, um, getting to a certain body weight. And that has been stigmatized in our culture and reinforced by a ton of data. Most of the meta-analyses out there with regard to lifestyle and diet changes in relationship to diseases and disease progression focus on BMI and demonstrate that lower BMIs have better outcomes, better prognosis, um, and are uh, preventative for many diseases and cancers. And that has reinforced the social stigma that we need to weigh less. Um, and like I talked about in the genetics episode, weight is something that is also really out of our control. We can't control how tall we're going to be. We can't control how much body mass we're going to put on that frame, um, how dense our uh, skeleton is, how much... Um, how our body is going to respond to certain macronutrients. There's a lot of aspects of our weight that are out of our control. And that in and of itself can feel incredibly overwhelming. And ACT has many really good publications that have been able to demonstrate that they're uh, taking an acceptance-based approach not only moves people closer towards their weight goal, but it also helps them recognize that weight is part of their value of health mm -hmm. or some other it puts it in the bigger picture of everything yeah right and so it helps us be more realistic about that goal like for someone who is very tall a very low weight is an unrealistic goal but they might have been told that in the culture that is the goal that they should be achieving and by using ACT, you can take a more realistic approach to what is my body type? Like, how tall am I? What are, what, how much time do I have left on this earth? You know, what am I able to do physically? What am I able to purchase uh, food wise? You know, what do I have access to? What is a realistic weight for me to be at? And how does that weight actually line up with my overarching goal, which hopefully is health? Mm -hmm. So um, an aspect of this is the overwhelming part. And we'll start with that just because there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of information from society as well. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by all this data, you can use ACT too. Yeah. 
Um, you can use ACT to help you dive into the data. You can use ACT to help you make those changes. Once you identify what success and health is for you at that individual level, um, we're going to post some links to a few different research articles for people that want to read about this stuff. And we're also going to post a link to this book by... Um, um, Dr. Jason Lillis, who studies acceptance and commitment training specifically with weight loss, and he has this book called The Diet Trap that has a lot of experiential exercises. It's um, a self-management book that you can buy on Amazon for like 15 bucks to start to apply some of these ACT processes at that level. So that'll be all up on the website. Um, and then what I guess we should specify is, in general, what's the difference between an acceptance-based intervention and a non-acceptance-based intervention? And historically, in um, psychology with behavior change strategies, there's kind of been three different waves of of research. The first wave started in the early 1900s, and it was really um, focused on very... I'm trying to think of the best way to not sound too technical. Um, it was really just focused on these kind of core, just changing your environment and seeing what happens without really paying any attention to the mind or your internal thoughts, feelings, and emotions around around that change. So just strict behavior modification, behavior change practices. Then around the 60s and 70s, um, there became this cognitive revolution, and you started to see a lot of interventions, which are commonly referred to as cognitive behavioral therapy, and um, which were great, and they moved the needle a little bit, uh, or not just a little bit, they moved it significantly. Um, but there's kind of like this right now with that literature, um, not much has progressed with that literature since the 90s. Um, and a lot of it has focused on kind of cognitive remodeling, cognitive reconfiguring, restructuring. Um, and the whole core concept around that is trying to get you to change your thoughts. So with this um, second wave of CBT, it was all focused on don't have the bad thought, don't worry, be happy, just don't think the bad things and everything will be fine. Just have happy thoughts instead. Just tell yourself that everything's fine and eventually it'll be fine. And there's some, yeah, that helps to a degree, but I have never met a person where if you tell them just don't be worried about it, that actually don't, they wind up just uh, being able to turn that worry switch off. Um, and what started to emerge was this research that shows that the more you try to suppress or negate or push away a bad thought, feeling, or emotion, the more likely you are to have it. It just comes right back up. And the action of trying to suppress your thoughts, feelings, and emotions is referred to as experiential avoidance in the ACT literature. And you can think of it kind of like uh, if you were to metaphorically put all your worries in a beach ball. And you set that beach ball up on a pool. We're talking a lot about pool and lake metaphors today. <laughs> if you were That's to good. put that beach ball on top of the water um, and you're swimming in the pool and you have and swimming in the pool is your value. You want to have a good time in the pool. That's what you've identified as your value. You have two options. You can enjoy swimming in the pool and sometimes your worries, that giant beach ball, it's going to float on by and bump into you and it's going to be annoying. It's going to feel uncomfortable. 
Or you have the other option, which is to try to push the beach ball down underneath the water, or you try to throw the beach ball out of the water, but there's someone who's constantly throwing the, the beach ball back in. And so when you imagine what it's like to push a beach ball underneath water, it just comes right back up and it hits you in the face with harder force. And that's what happens when we try to push our worries away, when we tell ourselves, I'm not going to be worried about it. Oh my God, I'm starting to freak out. I have to change all these things. It's going to be really scary. This is already giving me anxiety. And suddenly you have spent the past 30 minutes ruminating about (coughs) something, um, The acceptance approach is learning to accept when those thoughts, feelings, and emotions are happening um, and letting them be there with you, letting the beach ball float on the water while you continue to enjoy your day. And the other thing with acceptance and commitment training is when we talk about acceptance, we're not saying we want you to blindly just like fold over and be complicit to everything in your life. We're talking about accepting uncomfortable thoughts, feelings, and emotions when they are in service of what's truly important to you in your life. Yeah. So, for example, um, if you are going to change the amount of food that you're eating, and that can feel overwhelming because in that moment that you decide that, you've gone through the contemplation and you're like, I know what I need to do. I'm going to change the amount of food I'm eating in service of my goal of health. Now I have to face uncomfortableness. I'm going to have to face feeling hungry sometimes. I'm going to have to face... The worry of what other people are going to think. The worry that I'm not going to be able to do this and it's going to be really scary. Yep. The other important thing is in the previous episode, we talked about um, when you are making a big lifestyle behavior change, you want to make sure that your immediate committed actions are very, very small, and allow yourself to contact that positive reinforcement for accomplishing a really small task. So rather than um, if, you, if, you're, if it's allowed and your medical doctor is on board, try to make small behavior changes, and then as you contact that reinforcement for hitting those goals, then you gradually build it up over time. So maybe you start by giving yourself the goal of, yeah, I'm going to eat one vegetable for one at, once a day. I'm going to drink one glass of water once a day and then track that behavior. Okay, it's starting to go up. Now I'm going to try to take out one food, one unhealthy food and replace it with another healthy food for the um and then yeah, and I and that's exactly the the point here with the trying to eat less food is you're essentially taking things away without putting anything in. And any time that you can add something in instead of taking something away, you're automatically giving something to yourself. Like it's a positive reinforcer. Mm-hmm. So focusing on the one thing you can have, like extra one extra vegetable or more water, those actually are positive reinforcers as you're doing them versus I'm going to eat less is already a negative experience. Yeah. And then you're adding on all these other negative reinforcers of like hunger or whatever. Right. And so instead of um, – if you find yourself approaching your goal with – a with what you think is a small um, action and that action is making you feel overwhelmed, think, can I break this into even smaller actions? Mm -hmm. And am I feeling overwhelmed because this is taking something away from me? And yeah, and what's that replacement for that? Right. Um, So you talked a little bit about maybe the uh, using gummy bears as an example. Oh, yeah. So for example, um, if you are trying to change what you are composing your diet of 
and you decide that it is not in line with your values to eat a candy every day, but you have kids or someone else in your family who um, you know, has something like fruit snacks or gummy bears around and um, it's appropriate within their diet to be eating that and you have this pattern of seeing it and eating it, there's a couple things that come into this is one, um, we've patterned behavior. So first is the stimulus and then the reward. And so you might walk into the room, remember that you ate gummy bears there before, check there's gummy bears, you're going to eat them, you're going to get this reward of all the sugar. So replacing that whole patterning starts with why am I walking into that room? Yeah, it's that present moment awareness of why am I in this room? Yeah. Why exactly? And then why am I going for the gummy bears? Mm-hmm. Am I actually hungry or am I not hungry? That's the next big question because it comes down to preparedness. So I'm hungry and I came into this room because that's where the food is. I go to the gummy bears because I'm hungry and they're already and there. you have this lifetime history of reinforcement for going into that room and grabbing the gummy bears in the past and being reinforced. So when you're making these uh, behavior changes, you are constantly, um, every moment is basically you're fighting your lifelong history of reinforcement in previous circumstances. Exactly. And so maybe this is your 3 p.m. pick me up sugar snack. And an alternative to that could be an apple. Mm-hmm. Um, so And with, with that, uh, if you identify, okay, I'm no, I'm no longer going to eat gummy bears. I'm going to eat apples because they will give me that same sugary um, 3 p.m. snack that I'm looking for, taking into consideration the response effort for it. So I would suggest um, gummy bears. The nice thing about gummy bears is they're normally prepackaged. They're already in a bag, and they're bite-sized for you. Rather than just trying to eat an apple, maybe try to replace it with a bag of pre-sliced apples. Exactly. So you're not trying, again, we're trying to break it down into the smallest amount of change possible because those are the easiest hurdles to overcome. It's a big hurdle to replace a food that has all this convenience with a food that doesn't, unless you also make that other food convenient for you as well. There's another type of behavior that we participate in that hasn't has nothing to do with hunger. It's just patterning. We walk in the room. Now we've been motivated by the gummy bears in the past. We're being motivated again. And this is a more difficult habit to break because there's no replacement. It is a stop and why am I having this feeling? Why am I having this habit? And those are um, that takes a lot of the present moment awareness and acceptance and acceptance that you might have over time um, a continual engagement in gummy bears, but you can try and eat less gummy bears and re- maybe even add in a replacement of I'm going to eat three gummy bears and three pretzels or yeah. something else that's convenient that's there and just so- slowly transitioning away from my gummy bears. I'm less likely to want to come in and eat pretzels. My habit's going to disappear because pretzels aren't really going to motivate me to come in this room as much. It wasn't about hunger anyway. Mm -hmm. So trying to find something that um, when you're finding yourself in a pattern loop, uh, especially around food, identifying, am I actually hungry and can I replace this? Do I need to be more prepared next time? Um, Or am I 
not hungry and I need to have some present moment awareness about why I'm engaging in this pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of times we will replace food for dealing with our emotional state in that moment. And so if it is that for you, it would be more beneficial and in line with your values to deal with that emotional state. Um, There's been so many studies that demonstrate how our emotional stressors have such a huge impact on our disease progression and our um, ability to uh, be resilient in the face of treatment for diseases that managing those small habit loops that we have on a daily basis are wonderful opportunities for us to sit with that uncomfortableness and find ways internally of managing um, all of the things that come up in our life. And so thinking about them as positive opportunities instead of, oh, another struggle Mm -hmm. is a way that you can replace your response to that experience in the moment of, oh, no, I have to engage in this difficult experience of, you know, avoiding the gummy bears to an opportunity. And so this is where that aspect of diffusion would also come in handy. Um, even, Even the word diet can be a very triggering, heavy, emotionally loaded word for a lot of people. And one of the most common diffusion exercises um, is this process of learning to de-literalize or decontextualize these thoughts and noticing that your thoughts are really just an arbitrary collection of symbols and sounds. So one thing you can try to do is try to repeat the word diet out loud as fast as you can for 30 seconds. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And so you, you can see it, <laughs> yes. you can hear how silly it goes. And you should do it with us if you're listening. You should do this as we do it. All right, okay. ready? ready? Diet. Diet, 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 for a moment there, it almost sounded like we were saying die. Uh, that would be awkward if yeah. you walked in and just listened to us. Um, but what you notice is the more that we were saying it, again, it stopped sounding like the word diet. Or even if just the word food was really hard for you. And you started going food, 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 food. You start to notice the arbitrary features of that stimulus, that it's just a word. It's just a thought. It's just an emotion. Um, And it's happening because of very normal reasons, because you are changing your behavior, which means having to come into contact with your entire lifetime of experiences uh, that are kind of tempting you to continue to move in that same path that you've been moving your entire life. Yeah. And there's a couple other things that come up when we are making changes, especially as we're eating food. Um, finding that point at which we are starting to feel full and recognizing Mm -hmm. that is this present moment awareness and then how we respond to that. I think, especially since we're in November and going into the holidays, um, you know, as the holidays come up, people always have this like, oh, I'm just going to sit there and be full to the max and feel so uncomfortable as if that was an obligation. It's a socially accepted practice in our culture. That's kind of what's anticipated, especially around the holidays, that we eat ourselves until until the point where we're falling asleep yeah exactly and I think a lot of uh this complexity around overeating um and breaking these habits of overeating comes down to first recognizing when you're full and taking a moment to just put your fork down and sit with that like am I actually full or you know did I just feel full for a second and I'm getting hungry again Um, because that's definitely happened to me during meals is I'll eat half of it feel like oh I need a second and then five minutes later be like I'm really hungry I need to finish this and that's that whole learning you're learning to discriminate 
what your body feels like when it's full versus the feeling of not being full. And this is this whole mindful present moment awareness skill where that comes in to practice with your eating habits is just learning through time to discriminate the feeling of fullness versus the feeling of um, not being full and the feeling of your mind chattering telling you well you're in this social situation where it's going to look really rude or uncomfortable if you don't finish everything on your plate so you better eat it or it's a holiday so I'm expected to eat this way so yeah, I'm or I can't gonna... eat this later yeah these are all my favorite foods exactly. I only get to eat them once a year so um, a couple things to unpack in this is one um in our episode about hunger, I talked about the data that supports eating slowly. Mm -hmm. And one of the benefits of eating around family is conversation. So taking the time to chew slowly, listen to people. And you can use the present moment. If you know that you're trying to eat less, then learning to savor every single bite of what you are going to eat by really noticing the sensations, the flavors, the smells as you're eating it. And that is hard for me to do in public situations because I'm so engaged in the conversation. So another thing that you can do if you're having a hard time being in that present moment with your food is make almost like a to-go box and have that for yourself at another time, like where you can eat that on your own and enjoy all the flavors of Thanksgiving. And I know it's not the same as when the turkey comes right out of the oven, but the point of it is that um, you are recognizing what you need. If you need to really like cherish these foods find a way to do that in an environment where you can do that and if that isn't with family then find a way that you can do that for yourself and if it is with family then awesome another thing is you can use a smaller plate so that it feels like you really filled up your plate but if you use like a dessert plate um there's been a ton of data that has come out that show that people who use dessert plates ate 30 to 50 percent less Mm -hmm. and that's just because their plate looked fuller and so they felt like more fulfilled by the amount of stuff on your plate if people start to make comments about that you can again use the diffusion you Mm -hmm. can use the present moment awareness and you can invite them to participate yeah and again letting them know from a very authentic place that I am doing this in service of my health, and this is something that's really important to me, and I hope that you will support me with this. Yeah. And then another part is if um, you decide that it is really in line with your values to just once a year fill your belly and enjoy the day and totally just Mm -hmm. eat everything in sight, and that's totally okay, is afterwards don't shame and blame and feel guilt about it. Yeah, and that's the thing that, again, it's like – trying to realize rather than viewing things as I'm going on a diet which has this intrinsic like restrictive quality to it viewing it more as like I am changing my patterns I'm changing my lifestyle and looking at things as um, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days Mm -hmm. there may be days where you are super stressed and you grab the gummy bears because life is just too hectic yeah and you can notice that and then every opportunity after that is you always have the option to continuously pivot and move towards your values so even when you make a mistake or you're a little upset that you ate the thing that you've been told maybe you shouldn't be eating as much Um, Having that self-compassion, allowing those thoughts, feelings, and emotions to be there with you, diffusing from it, and then using the next opportunity to eat as a new opportunity to start again to move in the direction of your values. Exactly. Yeah. And in the process of making these changes, a lot of it, like we've talked about, um, 
is identifying what the stimulus is, if it's emotional or hunger. And then if around hunger, it's a lot of it is being prepared. And that mm-hmm. in and of itself is a huge hurdle. And life throws us a bunch of curveballs. Yeah. And you might prepare an entire week's worth of food and get to 3 p.m. and be like, I just ate my entire day. Mm-hmm. which has happened to me so many times. Or you get to day three and the sight of what you prepared, you just cannot bring yourself to eat it because you're so sick of that flavor. Exactly, know? yeah. And there can be a lot of negative um, emotions and uh, I think we should definitely here talk about the punishment and reward aspect because in those moments you might feel like, I don't want to waste all this food that I just prepared. Right. What else am I going to eat all week? Or it's 3 p.m. and I'm going to blow my diet because I already ate all my food and mm-hmm. I'm starving. Um, and sort of assessing in that moment, like what are my punishments and rewards and what's a positive and negative punishment here? So let's talk yeah. about that. So in behavioral science, um, there's the concept of reinforcement and punishment. And essentially a reinforcer is a consequence that increases the likelihood of that behavior occurring again in the future. So, like, actually preparing your foods yes. is a reinforcer. It may. It may, it may it be. Could, a, yeah, it could be. That's the, the interesting thing about it is it, it may be a reinforcer. It may be a punisher. You kind of have to, like, allow things to unfold for a little while before you can identify what the function of it actually is. Um, but let's go ahead and say that it is. So you've been struggling to maintain your weight, to eat healthy and eat right. So you start to prepare your meals and you notice that it's decreased the response effort when things do get crazy throughout the week. Um, You're starting to come into contact with those flavors, so they're starting to taste better and better. Um, and vegetables are starting to be less aversive to you. So it's taking on those reinforcing properties. And you'll know if it's taking on those reinforcing properties because the next week you are even more excited to meal prep. And now you're really getting into it. You're looking up different recipes. And then the next week you're doing it again. And the next week you're doing it again. Then that's an indication that your behavior change Um, plan is reinforcing and you're coming into contact with those natural contingencies and it's more likely to maintain over time. Punishment is um, when we engage in behaviors and the consequences of our actions lead to a reduction in behavior. And so there can be positive punishers or negative punishers and that's where it kind of gets confusing. So like Um, if you get tired of your meals, that is a negative punisher, right? Because it's going to make it so you're less likely to meal prep in the future. And um, in the moment, you're feeling a lot of... Well, I guess that's what's kind of tricky about... I I personally, I think it's easier to just talk about reinforcement or punishment. Okay. Because when we get into like the negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, negative punishment, positive punishment, it gets really, really tricky. Yeah. Um. So really, at the end of the day, it's just, is it maintaining over time? Yeah. Because it could be that you're you get to like day three of that meal prep and you're eating it and it tastes really really bad and you decide you're not going to eat it for the rest of that week you coming into contact with that stimulus would be positive would be technically a positive punisher Mm -hmm. but again that's like very very jargony like no one who's listening to this needs to know about those distinctions all we need to know is it's not working it's punishing the behavior that you're trying to increase right so that could be an indication to you that okay every i need to change something because 
my behavior is not getting on track and moving in the direction I want to go. Maybe I need to meal prep two different meals for the week so that when I start to get satiated and sick of those, that one flavor, I can easily swap it out and eat something else. Or maybe I just really don't like this particular recipe and I need to try a new recipe next week. Right. And similarly, if you set a goal of X number of calories and that is significantly below where you are at, you are, again, not taking the smallest step possible, Mm -hmm. which we talked about in the macronutrient episode as well, is we want to take the smallest step possible so we have the most steps to take because the more steps you take, the more gains you get. Um, And if you took a giant leap, it's -hmm. going to be very hard to take another giant leap. So um, if you under uh, eat, if you too extensively, you might get to 3 p.m., have eaten all of the food that you prepped and be like, I'm starving and I'm going to blow it. I have to be up until 10. And so that can also be a punishment because you begin to associate meal prep with deprivation and meal prep with all these negative feelings that come around hunger. And that's when you start to notice, okay, I'm learning and this is new. And now I know that I need to prep more calories to eat for tomorrow. I'm going to eat something today and not beat myself up about it because I'm learning and I'm noticing where my level of like being hunger being hungry gets tapped at yeah so and so part of this is like okay my goal is in the end to be healthier my doctor told me that he wants me to eat uh this amount of food or this types of food and in order to get there I know that eating more frequently um in the literature has been demonstrated to help people be more successful um I know that eating smaller meals is going to help me be more successful because the literature supports that. Um, And I know that if I am prepared, I'm more likely to succeed. So part of this is I'm going to meal prep. And in the end, my meals are going to be of the content my doctor suggested and of the caloric intake my doctor suggested. But right here, right now, you have to also accept where you are in this present moment. And that might be miles from Mm -hmm. where you're going. So the first step might be, I'm just going to meal prep one meal a day. And breakfast is usually the easiest, um, but it depends on what you eat. Or even like just noticing with your individual lifestyle, what are the moments in your day-to-day where you are more likely to make the impulse buy or go for the gummy bears or whatever it is and trying to meal prep around that. So for me personally, I have like my own little morning routine ritual because it's the only part of my day that's consistent every day. So I really like to slow down and make my breakfast every day. But lunch has always historically been the hardest time for me. That's when I'm crashing. That's when I'm feeling hungry. That's when I tend to go through to the the drive-thru or go to the fast food place and I spend the money and I normally pick like the not the healthiest meal. Right, because you're already tapped out. You're exhausted. Your resources of control have already been used. So I've isolated in my day-to-day that for me, um, lunchtime and dinner time are the times that I need to meal prep more because I'm depleted the most and I'm most likely to take a step away from my healthy eating values. Yeah. Um, but someone else who, who might have kids, there might be a lot going on in the morning and that morning time is the hardest time for you. 
then that would be a good indication of, okay, that's when I need to be meal prepping the most. And yeah. again, you can slowly fade yourself into it. So maybe it's not, I'm going to meal prep every single day. Maybe you start with, I'm just going to try to meal prep once a day for a couple weeks. And once that's feeling really easy, I'm going to bump it up to two days. And maybe I'll bump it up into two meals a day. And you slowly fade in these habits over time. Exactly. And meal prep has sort of taken over from what people used to do, which was I'm packing leftovers from dinner or mm-hmm. I packed my lunch, right? So that's all we mean by meal prep is you yeah. brought food with you. You prepared it ahead of time. Exactly. It can be whatever you normally eat. You just have it with you. So um, an easy way is, again, to make extra dinner and take it for lunch or, mm-hmm. um, you know, pack your lunch with your kids and eat whatever they're eating. And just starting with the action of meal prepping without changing the content then you can start to change the content by adding stuff yeah. in. I'm eating a sandwich. I'm going to change it from a, you know, a turkey sandwich and add lettuce in, or I'm going to add some tomatoes in or whatever. So you slowly make the smallest changes possible that get you towards your goal of eating more vegetables and having your food already prepped and being more consistent with your meals. And then over time, you can slowly start to decrease the amount of food that you're eating in small, tiny increments from the content that you already want to include in your food because it makes it easier than a full 100% change. I think that's the key is these small little changes over time, noticing for you in your own individual lifestyle when your triggers and moments of worry or stress are popping up where you really need to intervene the most. And then it's um, you're less likely to kind of get bombarded with those negative thoughts, feelings, and emotions if you're doing these small incremental changes. And then again, being self-compassionate, knowing you're not perfect, you're, there's going to be moments where you might fail and you might um, move away from your values, but every other meal is a new opportunity to try again and to maybe eat a little less or to go for the healthier option. And one of the things we'll put on the website is called the Five Point Experience, and it is looks sort of like a north, uh, east, west, south compass. And in each corner, you're putting where you are um, uh, mentally moving towards your goals, and then in the physical world, moving towards your goals, and then mentally moving away from your goals, and in the physical world, moving away from your goals. And if you're feeling like you're really um, struggling with something in your diet, you can go through this exercise to see what it is that you can approach differently. And the thing about everything we're talking about is it is the opposite of a fad diet because the fad diets are change everything in your Mm -hmm. life overnight. It's an extreme calorie restriction. It's an extreme change in the content of your nutrition. And people can do extremes for short periods of time, but they're not sustainable. They're not lifestyle choices. And fad diets have, um, in the literature been shown to be actually really detrimental to your health because your body doesn't want to go through these huge shifts. Your body wants to just, you know, slowly keep chugging along in life. And so, and life happens. That's the thing. It's like, you're said it, you're with these fad diets. They're extremely rigid. There are a lot of, uh, rules imposed upon you from some other person who's not you and doesn't understand your life and your specific medical doctor's recommendations Mm -hmm. and what works for you and your lifestyle. Yeah. And they all have something financially to gain from you participating. And so the thing is that this process, I think the reason why it's a struggle is because it is an internal process. It is 
over long periods of time. It is a process where we are in contact with the difficult moments. It's much easier to um, push the balloon underneath the water in the short term Mm -hmm. than it is to accept the balloon being there in the short term. Grabbing grabbing the gummy bears and eating the gummy bears in the moment, it's going to have that immediate self-soothing quality. Yeah. But in the long term, uh, it's going to have this cumulative negative effect over time. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of these more rigid diets, they give you this sense of control and community. Mm-hmm. And that is something that is, I think a universally comforting experience, like having control and community. And when we feel like we're out of control of our weight, we're out of control of our health, we're out of control in so many aspects of our life, um, it is like relieving emotionally to have someone just tell us what to do and to have rules and boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like it just makes us feel safe. And so if you recognize that you're um, struggling because you find safety in that community and in that structure there's always opportunity for you to find how to create that for yourself like you did with the exercise with your community Mm -hmm. and creating that structure of doing the same thing at a certain time of day that gives you some structure and then in terms of um you know I'm making this change and I'm going to eat vegetables at every meal that is a sense of structure Mm -hmm. and when you don't do that um you can find yourself in moment with uh that discomfort but because you don't have this external force that can press all of this judgment on you um you can sit there in that moment and say that's okay I'm a human being it's it's basically the difference between viewing something as a hard rigid rule and a value exactly and so you're more likely to succeed and keep moving forward and so that's the whole point of like when you're feeling overwhelmed and out of control Um, recognizing where those feelings are coming from. Like, are you feeling overwhelmed because you're trying to take on too much at once? Mm -hmm. Are you feeling overwhelmed because you don't have the information you need? Are you feeling overwhelmed because you have a bunch of external life stressors? Um, And the easiest way to confront feeling overwhelmed is to uh, figure out what your values are, break those into actions, turn those actions into the smallest measurable changes that you can make and focus on one of those until you feel like you've mastered it. Right. Having compassion by using your diffusion and acceptance skills as you move in that behavior change because you know it's going to feel uncomfortable in the beginning. Yeah. And then part of that feeling out of control is recognizing what you need in order to feel more calm in a world where you feel like you don't and have again, control. And again, like maybe trying to replace it. So if controlling your diet has historically been the thing that's given you that sense of control, learning how to replace that for you in a way that's a little more healthier to your current lifestyle. So like I said, I like to have, I, I like waking up early because I can have a couple hours in the morning where I do have full control over my morning routine and it's my time of the day that I am in control and um, I'm trying to slowly add healthier and healthier habits into it. Um, but then for the rest of the day, when life is crazy and chaotic and every day looks different, I gave myself my own little time during the day to feel in control in a healthy way so that when I'm not in control for the rest of the day, it's no big deal. Yeah. And so likewise, I find having pattern behaviors a way that I have control over my life as well. And um, I talked about this in our Q&A session about how much exercise 
uh, is for me something that is the one thing I have control over in the chaos of life. And when my schedule shifted in medical school, so when I was getting up mm-hmm. really, really early to go to clinic, it sort of disrupted the previous pattern. Right. And that definitely made me feel like, oh, no, I'm entering an environment of unknown where the pattern that I felt like I had control over is now gone. And the thing that I really want feels like it's out of reach. And I haven't worked out in the evening in a really long time. And that's mm-hmm. really scary. And what if I'm not what if I'm too tired? And what if I give up? And what if I don't want to go? Yeah. And what if I just like, you know, all of these what ifs and I'm now in the future. Right. I'm no longer yeah. in that present moment. And so taking in and being like, wow. I just got really overwhelmed by this feeling of being out of control of when I was going to mm-hmm. work out. Made and you're going to notice it and you're going to use your present moment awareness skills to get back into the moment to do what you can in this immediate moment that is to some degree in your control. And right. there are other things that you can do to like build these um, feelings of being in control throughout your day to day that don't necessarily involve waking up at 5 a.m. or having uh, some hours in the morning to yourself. Um, I know um, one of the faculty recently mentioned that she, um, when she's driving her car, um, there was like th- there one of her children's like toys was kind of rattling, and she has started to kind of use that rattle as a moment for her as she's driving from point A to point B as kind of a reminder to get back into the present moment. So she's been starting to you practice her present moment awareness skills while she's driving from moment A to moment B and you could use that as a time for you during your commute to reflect on your values um, and identify what's truly important to you in life so whatever you can do to like intersperse these skills throughout your day. Right and using the data to find so the the goal here is that you feel liberated by this data because in the end, it's very simple. It's so simple. You just move your body, you eat vegetables, and if you eat a balanced diet with fruits and vegetables and some nuts and whole grains and some lean proteins, you're on the right track. If you do that 80% of the time, Mm -hmm. you're going in the right direction. And so what I found really liberating in this moment where I felt overwhelmed by how am I going to continue my exercise routine is recognizing that I just have to move my body. Like I don't have to do the thing that I've been doing for months and feeling so attached like this is the only way because our lives are constantly evolving and there's so many ways to get to the same goal. And really the best way for you in this moment might not even be the best way for you in three months. Mm -hmm. It might change in six years. And when you get too attached to that uh, one way of doing things, you can go through what's called ego death, where it becomes so entrenched in your identity that, oh, I exercise, so I must be an athlete, like this is my identity. Then when you have to limit your exercise for some other goal that you're going through, it can feel like you're losing that identity. Or if you're a person who you've, again, you've historically eaten meat your entire life because it's so have been heavily entrenched in your cultural upbringing and suddenly your doctor tells you you need to cut back on the meat. Well, what does that say about you, this person who is always identified as a meat eater? Or even if you were a raw vegan and you were immersed in that community and then suddenly you come into contact with uh, someone recommending to you that you need to actually not be a raw vegan because it's not good for your health. 
what does that mean for you and your sense of identity as being a vegan? Exactly. And um, I was I was I was vegan for a couple of years and then recently had to start incorporating some fish and eggs into my own diet for health reasons. And I had to come to terms with that ego death of I'm no longer a vegan in the sense that 100 percent of the time I'm not eating animal products. But what I've come to identify is I value veganism and I try to live in alignment with it as much as I can. But it's not this hard, strict rule of if I eat eggs once in a while or fish once in a while, it means I don't value veganism. Right. And the whole reason that you became vegan in the first place was for your health. Right. And so it is actually in conflict with your fundamental goal if you continue on something for a uh, another goal. Mm-hmm. So it. I think recognizing, like, I can value this whole way of doing things and it's not the right way for me doesn't necessarily mean that that way is bad either yeah. or that you don't like it or appreciate it or wish that you could do it. Yeah. It just might not be the right thing for you and that's okay too. And that acceptance is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our next episode, we're going to delve even deeper into this whole accepting things we don't want to accept, such as chronic diseases and cancer. And this is where we're going to put together the recommendations um, around those conditions. So we hope to see you next time.